My name is Alice. I worked for the Umbrella Corporation at a secret high-tech facility called The Hive. A giant underground laboratory developing experimental viral weaponry. But there was an incident. The virus escaped and everybody died. Trouble was, they didn't stay dead. Welcome to Now Playing's retrospective series of Resident Evil. You're all going to die down here. Hosted by Player One, Justin. That's right. Star power, bitches. Player Two, Stuart. Congratulations. <laughs> Officially a badass. And Player Three, Arnie. They're stars. They're the best. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a Resident Evil movie review, leading up to Resident Evil, the final chapter. You are going to be in for the fight of your lives. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers, mild language, and zombie dogs. This is humanity's last stand. The beginning of the end. Listener discretion is advised. Waiting for a written invitation? Today we're discussing Resident Evil Apocalypse. The second one. (laughs) Starring Mia Jovovich, Sienna Guillory, Oded Fair. Directed by Alexander Witt. This is Arnie, your apocalyptic co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in LA. And this is Justin. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to the Apocalypse. This is such a cheery titled film. I'm, I'm so glad we're starting off this way. Ring in the New Year on a, on a down note. Yeah, it, it feels appropriate in some ways. I didn't see this movie, never thought about seeing this movie, but they whipped this one out quick. I gotta say, two years or less? Two years. It came out in September 2004. And the first one was July 2002. So they had two years to do this and they didn't have Anderson back directing. He should have directed this. Instead, he was away pissing everybody off making Alien versus Predator. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I assume that's why he wasn't here. But I'm so glad he took the time to do the script because I'd hate to miss his nuanced characterization. He actually (laughs) was far more involved than I ever would have imagined. I knew he was credited with the screenplay, but this started filming before AVP, and so he was on set of Apocalypse for the first two weeks of shooting, instead of, you know, going over that AVP script one more time for some characterization. Oh, he had that on lockdown. He didn't need to worry about that. (laughs) Yeah, it was perfect. And then this came out after AVP, and so he handled all the post-production. So he was a very hands-on producer, writer. He guided this whole thing. But Alexander Witt directed it. And if you don't know Alexander Witt, it's because this is his only directorial credit, but you've probably seen his work. He is an accomplished second unit stunt director for Bourne films and... (laughs) 
basically, yes, he comes in because he's used to stepping in when directors go MIA. So was Anderson supposed to do it and then was like, oh, I, I've got to go now? Like he, he like didn't look in his Palm Pilot or something? Like this almost feels like a guy that just stepped in and a day before shooting and said, okay, uh, we're just going to do this. He wasn't sure when making the first movie if there'd be a sequel but he already had started writing the second film before the first one was even released. He expected a sequel, and I think he knew, though, about Alien vs. Predator. From what I've heard, there was never any intent for him to direct this. And he doesn't direct the next one. I don't know that he ever expected to return to the director's chair, or if he was just going to Lucas this. Let other people actually do the day-to-day -day work while he's off doing big projects like AVP and DOA and The Dark. He made that 3D Musketeers too. Yeah, he's got a real track record. I will have to get into it. Whether or not this movie is better or worse than AVP is an interesting question. I think we'll have to debate that. But I think it's also probably worth looking at what was going on in the zombie genre. I mean, it was pretty barren when 2002 Resident Evil came out. But now, I didn't see this movie, but I definitely was watching some of the other things that were coming out. 28 Days Later, Dawn of the Dead, the remake, and yes, even House of the Dead were all hitting the big screen, and I was seeing them. Not to mention Zombies Survival Guide and Walking Dead were coming into print. I was also watching all of those movies you mentioned. I was starting to read Walking Dead comics, but I did see this movie in theaters opening weekend. Really? I guess somebody had to. It came out on my birthday weekend. Marjorie let me pick the movie. Uh, she hasn't let me pick since, but... <laughs> <laughs> I kid. I pick the movie a lot for my birthday, and she hates it every time. I hope that it's it was your birthday that makes you remember seeing this because I was thinking about this as like, I've always been aware of the Resident Evil franchise, but I don't have like a memory of like talking to anybody about it or knowing anybody who went to see them or anybody who was excited about the next one. But for the last, it's going on 15 years now. There's always been a Resident Evil movie just over the horizon. I feel that same way about Underworld, which was also kicking into gear around this time. There was this <laughs> whole sense of like, again, this they're horror movies, but not. They're martial arts movies with fangs. And yeah, Underworld was like werewolves versus vampires with some chick. I always feel like there's another one and they never want to use numerals. So you never know if it's the third one or the 20th one. <laughs> I can't believe they're still making Underworld films. I saw the first one and I couldn't believe they made a sequel. And every time I see one, it's like I'm living in an alternate world where people like those films. There's one out Friday. <laughs> we could literally have done that series instead. But I'm assuming that you're a bigger fan of Resident Evil than Underworld. I've, I've seen one of each and that was enough. But it was a thing, you know, I do think because of The Matrix, I, I credit The Matrix the most, maybe Tomb Raider, but it was a thing to get these women action movie projects that were, like every actress I felt like wanted to prove they had martial arts skills or not. And so it was just going on at the time. Resident Evil was making its own little money. Underworld was making its own money. Kill Bill, I think, was also really big at the time. Alias was on TV. But I also think there were some flame outs, not only the Matrix sequels, but Catwoman was coming out just before this. <laughs> hey, Ooh. so bad it's good. 
We got three green arrows. <laughs> <laughs> you could look at it from the positive side. And yeah, the Charlie's Angels sequel wasn't doing so good. That franchise fizzled. The Tomb Raider franchise fizzled. I, it was kind of the best and worst of times for actresses. I don't know why everyone... I guess it's a payday, right? You're going to get paid more if you do an action movie. So every actress just wanted to do it. But it was becoming a thing at this time. I think what it is, is they do good when the budget is kept relatively low. Underworld, Resident Evil movies, they seem to be smaller in scale and scope. They have their fans, they make what they're always going to make, and yeah, you can just make another one. You you know what to expect, the people that like it turn up. But when they go too big, Catwoman was indeed supposed to be on par with Christopher Nolan's Batman. I mean, that was the ambition, at least, in its beginning, and in its, in its budget. I, I think that's where they overmistake it. There is is a glass ceiling to that audience and for better or for worse a lot of those movies don't get past the 80 90 million dollar mark how much did this movie make this movie made 130 million global on a budget of 45 million but according to mia and sienna they didn't do this for a payday well neither of them are huge stars so working actress is still a good thing for them but they like that sci-fi and horror movies allow for kick-ass women. When they take roles in other types of films, they don't get to do this fun stuff. They don't get to play with guns and be badass. And so I wouldn't take it quite so mercenary as I'm getting some money. I think that this is an exciting chance for women to be action stars. And who doesn't want to be an action star, man or woman? Uh, you know, I guess when I look at Kate Beckinsale, her career before, she seemed like a nice British actress that was always going to do Jane Austen. But you know what? You are right about one thing. Mia does look like she's a party girl. I saw some of these behind the scenes featurettes, just a couple of them. I didn't want to dig too deep, but that's my job. Three commentaries on this fucking Blu-ray. <laughs> but I'll say this about her. She's got a lot of enthusiasm and it's very infectious. She seems like a team player. She's always there cheering all of the, I mean, everyone is great no matter what their job is. We have the greatest caterer. This is so great. <laughs> Everything is so wonderful. The crew, so amazing. I was watching these bonus features and just thinking, I've never seen such a mutual dick suck in all my life as bonus features. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I think that's part of her charm is, you know, not a great actress. And I don't think she would even think that she is. But I can see that she commits. She wants to do this movie. She wants to do the flips. She's doing as many of the stunts as they'll let her do. And so I'm hoping that that will carry through. If if this series is going to continue to be written by Paul W.S. Anderson and not Paul Thomas Anderson, <laughs> then, you know, I guess then I will just have to enjoy what Mia can do in the stock part. Her enthusiasm does come through here, though. I mean, you're right. As a model turned actress who kind of made her living by looking disinterested in front of a camera, mm. it's kind of easy to slip into maybe looking like you're above a movie like this. But the whole time, I don't, I don't ever get the feeling that she's bored with the role. Or she wants to be doing something else. So so good on her for that. Well, this is only the second one. I mean, we do have six <laughs> total. There's plenty of time for her to get bored. Let's revisit this again in five. 
<laughs> what I'm saying is I already need that life raft. I'm feeling like I need her to be excited about this because, boy, I'm not after I see this movie. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot? We'll get through this apocalypse somehow. Well, the movie picks up right where the last one left off. Raccoon City is overrun by zombies infected with the T-virus. Mia Jovovich's Alice is wandering around a desolate town, but she's not actually alone. Hundreds of people are trapped in the city, walled in by Umbrella Corporation guards, not allowed to leave so the T-virus can be quarantined. Yes, the Umbrella Corporation has their own private army. A group of survivors band together, including disgraced STARS team police officer Jill Valentine, played by Sienna Guillory, her fellow officer Peyton Wells, who's not around long enough for me to list the actor's name, and news reporter Terry Morales, played by Sandrine Holt. They barricade themselves in a church, but are attacked by liquors and saved by Alice, who comes in guns blazing. Wow, you got there a lot faster than the movie did. (laughs) (laughs) I've segmented my story. There are three stories going on in parallel. I'll get to the other two. These four stick together when they're contacted by umbrella scientist Dr. Charles Ashford, played by Jared Harris. Ashford's young daughter Angela is trapped in the city, and his Umbrella supervisors refuse to send in a rescue team, so Ashford offers Jill and her friends escape from the city if they rescue the girl. Unbeknownst to that group, Ashford also makes the same offer to a group of Umbrella military officers trapped in the city, led by Carlos Oliveira, played by Oded Fair. But things get even more difficult when Umbrella warmonger Major Kane decides the quarantine city is the perfect testing ground for their newest monster, Nemesis who was a mutated form of Matt from the previous film. Nemesis is sent in with orders to kill all remaining STARS operatives. The two groups go to the school where Angela was hiding and meet up, and are joined by another survivor, comic relief L.J. Wade, played by Mike Epps. I guess it must be Friday. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) I think I'd prefer Omar Epps in this role, but we got Mike. They find Angela, who tells the history of the T-virus. It was invented by her father to allow the paraplegic girl to walk, but she has to constantly take the antivirus to avoid negative symptoms like a hunger for flesh. Angela also reveals Alice has been experimented on and injected with the T-virus, making her an uber-efficient killing machine. I'm learning so much. This is awesome. All right. Is that why they injected her? Had no idea. The group go to the rendezvous point as instructed by Ashford, where they find Kane and Nemesis waiting for them. Kane demands Alice fight Nemesis to decide which program is superior, and he kills Dr. Ashford for funsies. (laughs) (laughs) Who the fuck cares if he dies? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe his daughter, but, you know. Alice fights Nemesis and realizes during the fight that it's her old friend Matt from the first movie, so she refuses to fight, and Nemesis remembers who he used to be. After that touching moment, the two team up to kill numerous Umbrella employees. (laughs) Nemesis is killed by a crashing helicopter, but eventually Alice, Angela, LJ, Jill, and Carlos escape in a helicopter, and Kane is killed by a bunch of zombies. Umbrella nukes Raccoon City to exterminate the infection, causing the group's helicopter to crash, and Alice is impaled by a helicopter blade while saving Angela. But Alice wakes up three weeks later in an Umbrella science facility, but she's broken out by those other survivors. However, she is now an Umbrella agent, being used to track the group as credits roll. 
So we start off again with the opening eye. Stuart, you called it a reference to Psycho last time, but this is how all the game's menus open. But this time, it's Alice's eye with an umbrella logo in it. And I don't know if you guys remember the trailer for this, but I was excited by the trailer. It had no footage from the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that would make me excited. like an ad it was all white background kind of like around the same time the i'm a mac i'm a pc guys (laughs) paint drawing maybe i like it and it was an ad for the umbrella corporation's new skin rejuvenation cream using t-cells oh i this kind of rings a bell i do remember this it was like a joke about yeah an ad you would normally see and then she turns to a zombie or something like that and Mm -hmm. then they show you a couple like quick cuts of people gnashing their teeth yeah I remember it. Yeah, that really got me going into this. Knowing the games, knowing that first movie, I was excited to see an exploration of the Umbrella Corp. And when I see that eyeball with the Umbrella logo, I know that's what we're going to get as we see a combination of scenes from the first film interspersed with some new footage of Alice after she was knocked out the second time. And being experimented on. Okay, so there is some new footage in there, but this felt very much like the opening of Rocky 2, like where the first five minutes was just the last five minutes of Rocky 1. Yeah, you know what? It was the cinematography. I could tell it wasn't as green this time. It was recreations of what we saw last time. When she's walking down the hall, I'm like, oh, they reshot this. But they're trying to make you think. No, that's actually the same shot. It's not the same color timing, I can tell you that. Paul W.S. Anderson went in depth during the bonus features about how when showing dailies to investors, they were all upset that it looked like television and they did heavy color processing in post. So, yes, they may have retimed the color, but anything that is similar to the last film is the same shot. They needed to save money. No. Okay. I didn't remember Matt as an environmentalist. I can't say that I got to know him that well, but that she is kind of giving a real-world video monologue to some camera to kind of explain all of this and and calls him an environmentalist who was separated from her, her, her great friend that she rode a train with once, and now she's so upset she's got to find him. Well, remember, she's got her memories back, or at least some of them. Does she? He's the one she was conspiring with. So something is clear that was never clear then. She was conspiring with rebels to bring down Umbrella. Yes. Okay. And the death of his sister is not on her hands because she was working with someone who poisoned everybody. And so she wasn't planning for that. And she was never going to run away with her quote unquote husband. Right. Who is dead after turning into a zombie last time because of the liquor and Matt who seemed like a good guy. I mean, he was trying to expose Umbrella. He got clawed by the liquor and taken away for the Nemesis program. So I knew walking out of that first film, I was excited, hopeful there would be a sequel. Resident Evil Nemesis, a really fun game. It got a lot more action-oriented than the previous ones. And so I knew what Nemesis was. I was looking forward to the return of Matt in this one. I was a little disappointed coming into this film when I saw it in theaters, however, that they didn't get the actor back. I don't know why I felt they needed him, but they just had a seven-foot stunt guy in rubber. Yeah, I'm not sure that an actor could bring anything to that part, but uh, we'll talk about Nemesis when we get to it. You were excited about that. Well, this ought to be fun. 
All right. So as I claimed last week, this Umbrella Corp is so stupid that not only did they gas their security person, who maybe they knew that she was rebelling or something. They didn't trust her. I don't know. But they just can't get information. One hand does not know what the other hand is doing. They have an artificially intelligent robot that is not telling them about its protocol. They send in a team and it dies. And then their response to that is to send in another team. They just won't be satisfied until they get these zombies out of the underground and up into Raccoon City. I swear to God, they send more limos to go pick up people after the outbreak than they do people to take control of this situation underground. Right. If this is a direct sequel, because it takes place directly where the last movie left off with her waking up in that lab. It's supposed to be just a couple days later. Right. Did they explain how the outbreak got beyond the facility? Well, you know, we we see everyone, you know, it's a heat wave and we see everyone mowing their lawn and, and preparing for the day. The camera tracks beneath the ground and we see underground that some idiots open a door, can see masses of people rushing at them at the last second i guess it's too late it would be helpful to have that equipment before you open the door confirm that there are zombies on the other side but whatever they're rushed and so i just assume they're all bitten and then they i don't know they just run upstairs see that happened so fast have you seen the end of rise of the planet of the apes i mean really yeah and they just kind of map it out there (laughs) and it just takes a bite it just takes a scratch Having seen by this point the remake of Dawn of the Dead and everything, the fact that a zombie plague spreads through a city, I completely go with it. I mean, Romero did it in Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. So, no, I I go with the fact that it spread and I go with the fact that they went and got all of their key people out, specifically Charles Ashford, who is a paraplegic and worried about his daughter a little stephen hawking a little bill gates Uh, i'm not sure exactly what this actor's doing but yeah i guess he's in a wheelchair to let us know that he's a super smart scientist like it's kind of like putting on glasses or something right well he's wearing glasses so (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah just to make sure you get it i'm not sure what the wheelchair has to do with anything he also has a daughter Okay, so they're picking up everyone. She's picked up from school. They're going to let all the other kids die. No one else is being told about this. It's not a full evacuation. It's get our important people out first, and then maybe we'll save other people. Maybe. So what's with the cement mixer? She's in this SUV with these high security people, and a cement mixer like hits their truck, flips them. Was that people panicking was that zombies behind the wheels were that just jerky union guys what is that <laughs> oh yeah good question that felt like it was intentional but it never went anywhere so i guess i never really thought about it again i think it was the suv drivers ran a red light and just got hit for it they had the entitlement of we're leaving this city and got broadsided all right so we're, we're trying to help the movie out here a little bit by saying that this was a planned maybe extraction of the daughter or something like that, but it's just just ends up being an everyday accident amongst chaos. Yeah, that's the only explanation I can give in lieu of any reason given, you know? We don't see the city in chaos yet. We don't see the troops storming in yet. We don't see the town overrun by zombies yet. So accidents happen, plot conveniences happen. Did we mention this was written by Paul W.S. AVP Anderson? (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I ask because, you know, I just want to know if there are any answers. I assume that they're not. I assume, yet again, we're in a movie that is poorly constructed and exists largely to recreate beloved scenes and motifs that we've enjoyed in other movies. In this case, it's going to be Escape from New York, right? Like, the president got trapped in the bad city and we got to send the worst criminals in to go save him. They put some carpenter in here. They talk about Assault on Precinct 13, Escape from New York. But the movie Paul Anderson can't stop talking about is Aliens. The first one was Alien. You're in the hive the way they were in the ship. Now you're spreading it out and upping the number. No, no. The first one was very much Aliens, the second one, the James Cameron movie. I mean, note for note. Not according to Anderson. <laughs> well, he may not even know that he's doing it. I mean, I'm not sure if he is aware of how much he's taking when he's putting this stuff out here. But yeah, no, it doesn't surprise me. I also got a lot of Alien Resurrection once we get the genetic people showing their superpowers. But that will be once we finally get back to Mia Jovovich. She disappears from this movie often and for 10 minute stretches which feel like an eternity in this i know paul ws anderson didn't come back for this but did she <laughs> did she just come back for a day i feel like she's barely in this film you know right as i was writing down where the hell is mia jovovich she comes crashing through a stained glass window on a motorcycle i'm like oh okay this, this is happening now <laughs> well Keep in mind, we're not supposed to miss her because we have a new star of the video games. Laura Croft. Jill Valentine. <laughs> yes, her outfit is very Laura Croft. <laughs> a little. It is the outfit directly from the first Resident Evil game. Oh, it looks like that. I mean, it like the colors look like video screens from the 1990s coloring. I mean, like this. Yeah, this this is cosplaying. In fact, this whole movie, I'm just like, did they just go down to San Diego and film Comic-Con for a night? Like, it just really feels <laughs> like these are people dressed up as video game characters and not characters in a real city. Actually, this was Toronto in winter and both Jovovich and Sienna were freezing in their tiny outfits. You didn't see that her boobs looked like they were polygons from the early 2000s? <laughs> they were quite well rendered round. But because Jill Valentine is the star of the first game, she's the star of Nemesis, one of the stars of the first game, but definitely the star of Nemesis, she is supposed to carry us. We're supposed to be as excited for Jill Valentine as we are for Alice. It doesn't work that way because Jill's played by Sienna Guillory, but we're supposed to be that excited. But you're right, Stuart. Cosplay is what went in my notes with her in that outfit. She looks the part. She studied that character. When she's standing still, she does the motions that the character does in the game if you walk away from the controller. But man, she carries no presence. She has none of the badassness that Jovovich has. And I'm looking up her previous movies. I mean, she was in Love Actually. That seems more up her alley than Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah, but there she's she's just credited as somebody's girlfriend. So she doesn't really have a, a character name. <laughs> and yet still better for her than Resident <laughs> Evil. <laughs> Extra work. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know that I'm going to attack her. I don't know. Here's what I can't tell you. What is she? 
she comes barreling into her introductory scene. She we see her sexy legs putting on some heels. She's got the gun. Yeah, she's got the little outfit. She knows there's a zombie outbreak, and she's gonna put that outfit on, walk into a police station, and start shooting people in the head. Does she work there? Like, why is she even there? Yeah, is she a cop? There were some newspaper clips when she's arming up in her apartment about being a disgraced stars police officer and stars star disgraced i i rolled my eyes pretty hard at that one and stars stands for special tactics and rescue squad so she's kind of like a swat member she's disgraced why I guess that makes her more of a rebel. The outfit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> her unwillingness to follow the uniform. <laughs> That's hardly headlines, but she is a cop. She's going in there. To do what? Like, she goes in to say, hey, everyone, I'm leaving, and you should too. Well, then why did you come? She did have a partner there that she was picking up. Oh, okay. If not picking up, at least going away with. But it isn't LJ, who is the person she ends up talking to, who I think may be a cop, and then later he's brandishing some golden guns, and I'm thinking maybe he was a criminal that was there, or, you know, maybe just a colorful bystander. Uh, What I want to stress is, I don't know who she is, what's going on, and when Mia Jovovich is on the screen, I can't tell you what I'm supposed to be following or what the plot is doing. And this is all, for me, plot-driven. It's introducing characters. There's another character in this movie who's straight out of the video game nemesis. Oded Fair's Carlos Oliveira. He is a character you play briefly in Nemesis. He's in some of the other games. And Oded Fair, I'm always excited to see the Deuce Bigelow star pick up some guns all right he's known for the mummy but in the commentary he really did go here fishy 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 so that made me happy i don't know what that means and i've never even seen the mummy so i don't know who this guy is well go watch deuce bigelow you'll get all you need nope he's basically he was an israeli navy person who turned actor in his 30s and hates guns in real life but he's a badass action star Is he? Here's another introductory scene that I don't understand. We see, no, actually, we look up a woman's skirt as she's running away from zombies. She gets to the top of the stairs, gets bit, runs out on a roof. There's a helicopter flying around. This Carlos is one of the men in this helicopter. He's been given orders not to help her, but is like, no, I'm an action star. I must look like Tom Cruise when I jump (laughs) out of this on my Mission Impossible cable. And then, like, he kills all the zombies and goes, all right, let me help you. And she says, no, you know, like, she doesn't believe there's a cure and jumps off the roof. What the hell happened? Well, he tried to rescue her, but she knew she was scratched. She was going to become a zombie. He tried to do the right thing and save the woman. He was too late. So she killed herself instead of turning into a zombie. I, I mean... It was, in retrospect, bad judgment, but he tried to do the noble thing. It just didn't work out for him. <laughs> That's not usually a great way to introduce a badass. Have them, like, do some spectacular gymnastics only to come down and, yeah, to not succeed at their mission. I mean, he looked like a fool. They're trying to establish a main character here, and I'm more focused on... I'm still trying to figure out the rules of this zombie apocalypse, you know, because every zombie apocalypse has its own rules and how you can become infected or what may cause you to turn or how long it takes. And that's kind of where my mind is. 
And you're right. The thing that I had taken away from that scene is, well, why did you jump, lady? <laughs> Not that this is one of our main characters that she's talking to right now. Yeah. I thought she was going to be a part of the plot, or at least what she was running from, what was going on in that building would mean something. Who was she? How did she even know about the outbreak? What do people even know? I don't know. The point here is that he jumped out of the helicopter and now he and those who jumped out with him are stranded in the city. If they'd stayed in the helicopter, they could have gotten out. Okay. All right. And they do or they don't work for Umbrella Corp? They do. They are from the military branch of Umbrella. Okay. So they don't wear the insignia, but stars is a part of that? They're not stars. Oh, God. All right. I give up. Fine. Oh, so confusing. (laughs) Yeah. It really doesn't matter who he is or what any of this matters. All we really need to know is there's a really evil guy named... Tim Kane, who's much thinner and less friendly than when he was running as Hillary's VP, who has decided to wall up the whole city by shutting down a bridge. They got it all locked up. It's a whole goddamn city, but somehow he thinks by shutting down a bridge, nobody can get out of this. And so he's just going to shoot anyone that tries. And they give up pretty quick. They had some scenes where they were shooting the people in the wall they decided it was too much carnage too soon so they made it look like they were just doing warning shots but yeah umbrella's perfectly fine killing everyone they're going to nuke the city i think that is already the plan they're getting the nuke ready yeah why not do that Let's just pray that this movie's realistic, that you can't just summon a nuke in a few seconds. It's got to take some phone calls. (laughs) You've got to work at it. You need at least 90 minutes to play out a plot, so. Yeah, I, you know, I get that we want to have some fun, and and that's a good ticking clock that they're going to drop a bomb is used often, but it's effective. It, It means there's a time frame that, yes, what we are supposed to care about is that there is a scientist who is not going to leave his tent unless his daughter is found. She's stranded in all of this chaos. He's going to make some phone calls. Literally, he's going to like hardwire into some pay phones and tell anyone that will answer that he'll give them an airlift out if they'll find his daughter, who he has no idea where she is. No, he does know because he's got the holographic maps of the city, he and the cameras. But we never see her. He never sees her. We never, that pays out for nothing. No, he eventually, when he gets the people to go, he tells them, oh, she's at the school. Go to the school. He does? Yeah, I got the feeling he knew where she was. He has a personnel locator, searches for her, and finds her at the junior high. Okay. All right. Obviously, you need to pay more attention to computer screens on the movie screens. (laughs) (laughs) Or less. I mean, so why isn't she just going up to the gate or like going for some help? She's not injured. She's immune to this virus that's breaking out. Like, But she's not immune to death. I mean, she can still be killed. Yes. She's absolutely in no danger. No one is going to mess with her at all. No, zombies will kill her. Why? Why would they do that? She's already infected. Because that's what zombies do is they kill humans they kill everything she's already infected right but zombies aren't out to infect people zombies are out to eat people so like whether or not she gets infected or not doesn't matter if they eat her brains out she'll die okay all right i guess you can make that case all right so she's hiding in her school closet not communicating to anyone and they got to get her out so this is the awful plot that we're trapped in 
<laughs> I'll agree. I'll agree that this is a little bit problematic of a plot. I'll agree that it gets really confusing as to who is doing what. Why is LJ showing up here? Why is there a priest in a church keeping somebody captive and feeding them? And then we shoot the priest in the head. There's a lot of running around. What I really don't know is why Alice bursts into the church guns blazing to save them from the liquors. How does she know there's liquors? How does she know there's people in the church? Why does she give a shit about these specific people? How did she get her bike to jump through a window at least a story and a half off the ground? Well, she's genetically <laughs> modified, so she's that cool. <laughs> she can lift her bike off the air, okay. <laughs> and why not? I mean, this is, I mean, again, that is Paul W.S. Anderson all over I felt that way in the first movie. It was a SWAT team coming in to see what was going on that was wrong. There were doors. There was no reason to smash through windows. But boy, he's just, if you can make a dramatic entrance, it doesn't have to be logical. That's what he wants to see. But it's not really about the setup. We know it's contrived. We know that it's bad. It's really about, again, are we going to have fun when Mia starts kicking ass? Is she going to be a different character this time now that she doesn't have amnesia and there's no mystery about who she is? Although I guess there is because I didn't know what her role was. <laughs> but now that I do, will I understand and like her better? Will she seem more like a fully formed human and, and less like her character last week? But there is the mystery because we're replaying some of those beats from the last one in that now she doesn't remember what happened to her when she was captured. She's getting these flashes. She's seeing being injected, but she doesn't know what's going on with her own body. So she's still a mystery. Why should she be any different than anyone else? What is happening to her? She was a security head. Why did they abduct her and turn her into some mutant? Because they could. I mean, that was that was the end of the last movie. <laughs> I mean, rent a cops, beware! <laughs> you think you're in charge, but any second now they could just decide to throw you on the operating table. They did know at that point, I believe, that she was a traitor. She had gone against the company to try to reveal them so letting her out is not a smart move and then why they experimented on her she did some freaking ninja moves last time why had they experimented on her before why was she able to do that dog midair kick then she's not much more badass in this movie than she was in the first movie really yeah okay so i i, I think what i'm hearing is no real good answer why she is a genetic freak but enjoy that as she's breaking into this church and not fighting one but three of the in-boss creatures we had last time yes liquors Liquors with a little bit more of a CGI budget this time around. It turned out Anderson admitted, <laughs> confessed on the commentary that the liquor was like a 11th hour addition to the first movie and he was embarrassed by the CG of it. And so they knew coming into this one, there were going to be some liquors. And so they had time to do it better. I got to say, I said it last time around. These feel very much like like a Venom ripoff. And I know Venom predates the liquors. Yeah, they got the tongue. They're crawling on the walls. They got the smooth heads. Honestly, though, every Resident Evil monster that isn't a zombie feels like a second-rate Cenobite to me. They've all got the pulled flesh and the flesh tone and everything. And it's kind of just a go-to monster design these days. It's 
honestly a little lazy, but it came out of the video games and then they brought it here. So I'm not dogging the movie so much as the video game for not being overly inventive when it started creating its monsters and getting away from the zombies. I guess I wasn't really ripping on it. I was, might have been on my way to a compliment in the fact that <laughs> I think they pulled off Venom better than Spider-Man 3 did. Well, you know, <laughs> that's a backhanded compliment. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, they'll take whatever you're willing to, to meet out to them. <laughs> you go further than I will here. I, I, I just I'm trying to get a read on the room. So now that we're in the action is is all this running around the pews, falling over the stained glass, knocking over the cross. Are you pumping your fist in the air? I am. I am having a lot of fun. Sienna may not be great at any of the lines she has to deliver, but when she's walking around shooting the guns, when Alice comes in guns blazing and does that frickin' back move, which was all her, the action is the best thing in this movie. The explosion at the church when they blow up the pew because... Why not? It's extraneous, but the action is really working for me. I love that a liquor is killed by the cross, too. I tried to figure out if there was a religious allegory going on there, but uh, I... Oh, please. Jesus Christ. Yes, exactly. That's where I went. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Please. Religious allegory. This is not that kind of zombie movie. I mean, it kicks the movie into a starting point rather than all set up. I feel like we're finally at least getting ready to kick the kickstand up and take off. Exactly. Act one is horribly long. (laughs) It takes so long to get here. But finally, when act two kicks off at the 30 minute mark, it's going to just be run and gun. The first movie really was almost nonstop action. And with the exception of any scene involving LJ and topless zombie hookers, <laughs> the rest of this movie is too. Yeah, I don't feel like it's helpful though. I feel like here's the problem. In the original one, we went level by level through one structure. By having it a city now with characters that haven't all met, it'd be one thing if everyone was in this church and working together. But yeah, we have LJ out on the street being chased by hookers. We have Carlos in some weird extraneous scene running away from a helmet I think I know what's going to happen here like one of the zombies sees it we we have this shot of it looking at its reflection I think oh if you shoot them in the head and they start wearing helmets you're going to have a bunch of zombies putting helmets on I thought that that was going to go that way because they make a big deal about that shot that would be really funny (laughs) Romero needs to steal that because that's funnier than anything in Day of the Dead (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean? There was just, there's all of these things happening, even at the 30 minute mark. We haven't even mentioned that there's a weather girl that aspires to be a news reporter and has a handy cam running around trying to film anything that she thinks is topical. Oh yeah, she's trying to win her Emmy. Was this their attempt, I wondered, at being kind of found footage? I mean, those movies were really taking off. We're not too far away from Romero doing it himself with some zombie films. So I wondered if they were trying to insert that bit of hipness. But yeah, this weather woman, there's too many disgraced people. Jill is a disgraced (laughs) stars officer. And this other woman, there's nothing but disgraced people at this point. (laughs) 
And this other woman <laughs> is a newscaster who's been demoted to weather as they're trying to force her to quit. I mean, I don't quite get why. Because that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you step down there. I think it's a stereotype of the 90s. It feels like a holdover from something 10 years before. I think the media took a lot of digs in the 90s. That was a, that was a fun thing to kick around from Natural Born Killers and, and what have you. So to have a reporter that's kind of unlikable, I did watch the deleted scenes and there's a lot of scenes of her being really shrill and annoying and they, they dial that back in the final cut. She just seems bland. But if they had kept what they originally shot, I think you would just hate her every time you saw her. And I didn't like her that much this time. And truthfully, <laughs> if you're not Carlos or Jill or Alice, I'm not really paying attention. There's other people around. There's Peyton, the other stars member. There's this weather person who's going to be killed early on. I mean, honestly, I expected LJ to be meat too. I mean, but he's the comic relief when he's showing off his gold guns. My shit is custom. I'm like, okay. By the way, that was supposed to be Snoop Dogg. Oh, wow. Is he too busy filming Bones? He had signed on for this. Something happened in his life where he canceled his tour and pulled out of this. So they toned the character down and brought in my caps. So if you think this is bad, imagine Snoop going on for shizzle, my zombies. <laughs> Who knows if he would have gone that far with it? I mean, I think Snoop has come into his own over the last decade or so. Yeah, so this is earlier than that. Yeah. <laughs> It could it could have been in the sh- for schnizzle days. You're right. Yeah, he was in a mo- lot of movies at this time. I do remember. I saw a few of them, and never a great thespian. But I agree, he has he's cultivated a persona, and I think it can be charming or amusing at a certain point. Mike Epps was always just the guy you call when you can't get Chris Tucker. <laughs> but there would have been a scene. There would have been a scene of a pot smoking zombie if Snoop was in this, and that might be good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I agree with the first half of that comment. (laughs) Again, where is this all going? To the junior high. Is it? I don't get the sense that that's where everyone is going. If you have that understood, I'm not with you on that. They haven't even been contacted yet about the mission. I think they're looking for a way out. They wind up in a graveyard, and there's a whole debate about whether they kill Peyton now or later because he's already bitch. And then we have zombies bursting out of the ground. I don't even know how this is happening, but like Thriller, they've just decided to crawl out of the crypt. <laughs> yes, I was I was waiting for the Vincent Price narration, and <laughs> they did cut a line of, does anyone find it odd that we're being attacked by zombies and walking through a graveyard? They decided that was too self-referential, but I was thinking it. Okay, and once again, I have to go back to what are the rules of this apocalypse? Now, how long can you be dead before you can rise again so is everybody who's dead infected and just waiting to rise why would they be yeah i mean how is this virus is it just all in the air if that's if it's this airborne then everyone would be infected it doesn't make any sense well according to the commentary they drop a line about how the virus has mutated and one mutation of the virus means you no longer have to be living and scratch to catch it the dead will catch it and rise. Oh, they're just saying that because they wanted to do people popping out of graves. 
yeah, I mean, you definitely feel like they've just come up with ideas for scenes and not bothered to to find a reason to put them together. And so we just, it exists so that Mia can do some kung fu because this movie is surprisingly lacking on that up until this point. And so, yeah, we get a slow-mo backwards kick, which is either going to play as badass or just ass, but (laughs) that seems to be the point of that. I do like the fight scene here, but I'll agree with you both. Before I listen to the commentary, I'm watching this movie. I'm like, really? You're the thriller zombies are coming up. Why are they infected? How does a virus infect somebody who's theoretically in a cement tomb under the ground? (laughs) How long have they been digging to get out? And they just so happen to get out when these people are walking there. But yes, it's action for action's sake. And not good. I disagree. I think this is good action. I'm having fun when the zombies show up. They spent too long in the graveyard without the zombies. Once they show up, and there's some ass-kicking going on, and finally there's just too many, they're overwhelmed. This is action zombie for me. This is what I want, and I like the gore. I like when they end with the close-up of the maggot-eaten zombie with the rest-in-peace headstone. I mean, this is what I want from this movie. Don't try to sell me that this movie exists for plot. It exists for action. So stop talking and start kicking. And that's what they finally do here. Hey, I'm fine with that. You know, I mean, after all, Stuart, you've said it before, this is moving from level to level. This is a cemetery level. And it's going to be fun having an endless horde of walking dead come at you. My problem with it is, is after the action is over, the danger hasn't subsided at all. They just decide there's too many of them. Let's go. I was like, well, what were you doing anyway? Like, why didn't you just go at the beginning? <laughs> where are they trying to go? Again, we don't know where, what the point is, where they're looking for. No one has been put on this mission. LJ is still wandering around. He winds up at a like police station or a STARS police station because I don't know what the distinction is. Oh, oh, was that a station? Or I thought it was like some sort of like uh, like surplus store. It's a movie theater, too. Yeah, I don't know what the hell it. I I don't know anything that is going on, particularly when they decide now is the perfect time before we drop atomic bomb. Let's start Project Nemesis and see what he does. Aren't you excited? Admittedly, if I was an evil scientist and I had a whole bunch of people I was killing anyway, it might not be a bad test of my new weapon to see what he does when up against actual targets. And Nemesis, I'm not going to back down from the fact that this is a badass villain walking in with his freaking helicopter gun, unstoppable, with Terminator vision and a rocket launcher. This is what I want. This is basically the video game character come to life. He even does in the game. It's funny because when you're fighting him, you just keep going stars, stars. It's the only word he says because he's trying to kill you when you're in stars. And he even gets that line in here. This is fun. Wow. I just don't even know what to say. This is what you want. This guy is a direct rip from the video game though so i guess this is what they're doing for the video game fans what did he do in the video game what is this thing what am i looking at he's a boss that you fight essentially so basically they just wanted a zombie to be uglier no no he's a bioweapon at this point the zombies were basically 
a side effect we're going to find out in this movie. You said, why is the scientist paraplegic? What's the point? The point is he has some disease that he passed to his daughter. His daughter was paraplegic as well. He didn't want for her the life he lived. So he developed this as a way to strengthen and cure her cells. And it did, but the side effect is zombieism. So then he has the cure that she has to keep taking to not turn into a zombie. Meanwhile, while he's doing medical research, others are looking to weaponize humans, you know, just advanced soldiers. This is where Nemesis comes in. He is mutated to the point and they've implanted computers in him and given him all this weaponry. He is to be their Terminator, their drone killer. And if you want, if you weren't getting Terminator, let's rip up a police station exactly like that James Cameron movie. Yeah, I. You think this is awesome? I really think that this is poorly staged, poorly acted, just poor. Poorly acted. I mean, how can you go against Nemesis? He doesn't act. He just stalks, and I like him stalking. Well, I was talking about LJ, who is the sole survivor. Well, LJ sucks. LJ is awful. I wish LJ weren't in this movie. They keep saying in the commentary, isn't it great to have comic relief? No, it's not. Get rid of him. (laughs) Sure it is. Where is it? Yeah. (laughs) I think this scene is here to give us as a viewer an introduction to Nemesis for one, but also to kind of show what he is about. Really? Well, you might not have caught the line, but this was a test. He was told to kill all the stars and he was able to determine where every stars member was target them and kill them and leave LJ standing. Only when LJ dropped his guns, because he was considering killing LJ when he was minimal threat, but when he dropped his guns, non-combatant, leave him alive. Okay. Well, we do, we'll find out that the man that's overseeing all of this is really okay with pitting employee against employee. He really ultimately wants to see Mia go up against this. As we all do. And they get an early fight scene in which, I don't know, she jumps a fence or something. It's kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah, he's got this crazy gun that can tear through anything except for, apparently, a car. Because the bullets just kind of stop there. But the special effects here get a little goofy. I mean, I can buy Mia jumping over a fence because she's somewhat modified. But seeing this big seven foot two bulky guy just kind of, not even jump, just kind of levitate off the ground over a fence... Uh, that, that pulled me out of it for a minute. Yeah, it didn't look tremendous, but I'm enjoying their early face-off. We're about halfway through the movie. We know this movie's going to end with that face-off. And so to get this kind of round one bit, and that gun, I mean, they went into a lot of it about on the bonus features that that is like a hundred pound. That is the first time in any movie that a helicopter gun has been wielded by hand by somebody. And it is badass. I love the sound effect of it. I love the damage it does. I love how it's tearing everything up. I love that she has to run because at this point we've seen her kick so much ass. She's only had to run when... There was a horde. Now she's running from a single zombie. This tells me Nemesis is a worthy opponent. So let me just molecularly break down what might be considered entertaining at this point. Because what you're saying is like gibberish to me. What's fun about it is you like the makeup effects and they blow up stuff real good. And Mia is doing some great stunts, some great stunt work, and where the explosions are, how it looks... 
The editing's awful in this movie. I swear to God, I could go and do a selfie of myself walking around downtown LA and edit it into this movie, and you'd think I was the star of it. This thing is so disjointed. The characters have so little relationship to one another. It's like five movies going on at the same time. But not in the action scenes. You're talking about the plot. I'm talking about the action. No, I'm talking about the action as well. I feel across the board... It is almost gibberish, what we're watching. It is a sequence of explosions. And I guess if you like flips, you got something here. But I just, uh, this is garbage. I think there's an escalation. There, the way that this movie continues to up its game. What Mia does at the beginning is not doesn't hold a candle to what she's going to be doing at the end. And yeah. Keep in mind, I like Anderson's Mortal Kombat film, where it was also a lot of video game action fighting. I find it to be entertaining. I think the effects here, with a couple of exceptions, are very passable, and it succeeds in immersing me in more than watching somebody else play a video game, which is usually my worst insult for something like this. Here, I feel like I'm really in the midst of action. I'm having fun. How is her performance changing? You're saying that there's an evolution of something. What is it? Just the move she does. The amount of ninja skills she displays. There's more roundhouse kicks. She did one roundhouse kick at the beginning and then she does three at the end. I mean, is that what we're talking about? She just gets deeper and deeper into the Matrix. Okay, let's just get to the school. Let's just find this character that everyone has now been told that they'll get a a Halivac out for if they rescue. And there were originally in the script the designs that what this girl was supposed to be was the Red Queen. That her dad designed the Red Queen and based the look and based everything off this girl. And there was going to be a connection with Alice as Alice remembered how the Red Queen killed all of her friends. And then they decided there was just way too much exposition. So they cut that whole thing. But it's here. When they meet each other, she's like, I've seen you before. And I thought that that was a joke. We know that this is the Red Queen daughter. She's even got a British accent. For reasons I don't quite understand, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty obvious. I guess it's there if if you were paying attention, and if you weren't, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, they said that they cut all that out, but I did kind of get... I'm like, every one of these movies has an evil little girl, only this time she just doesn't happen to be evil. Okay, and every one of these movies has... Zombie dogs, I'm, I'm getting the sense about that they're going to just keep doing this. You know, here they tease it quite a lot that when they get to the school, even there's a canine police van outside that just tells you right away at some point we're going to get them. When we do, I'll go ahead and say it. They look a lot better than last week. I think they do a better job. Yeah, they've had a little more practice and they're such a staple of the games. You got to have them. My question is, is does it only affect like Doberman species? <laughs> like, why aren't there any like, you know, Chihuahua zombie dogs? or Pomeranians. Pomeranians running around. Yeah, I think definitely one of those should have gone after LJ if they want some comic relief. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but they never show animal violence. Like, I do think that that's funny is that, yeah, you can kick the most ugly troll man in the face and blood and all of that. But we never really see 
them taking out these animals. Oh, she kicked the dog in the face in the first one. Just once. And I bet you they got a lot of letters about that because they haven't done that again. Here, I mean, we see Nikolai, who is just some nameless Russian that has been with Carlos, we're waiting to die. He, like, you know, shoots it dead and is like, stay. He, that's, his, that's his Arnold line. But they don't <laughs> show the bullet going in. They don't see the dog falling over. It will end up jumping up and biting him and getting revenge. For a movie that should be celebrating gore, they minimized any attempt to try and glamorize dog violence because I think I think it's a thing, right? People are completely fine with watching other people murdered on screen, but you can't hurt a puppy. From nothing I read, did they get blowback about the zombie dogs? But it's a different director with a different sensibility who did take this movie in different directions and stage the action the way he wanted. What they said was, anytime there was action going on, he was fully in control. During all the other scenes, he was leaning on other people because he hadn't done it before, so he wasn't familiar with how to do camera setups for drama and whatnot. So, Good thing there's no drama here. <laughs> But they did make an effort to kind of tone down the gore overall in this one and make it more of an action film. Again, trying to get away from the horror of Alien and go towards the action of Aliens is what Anderson said. I felt that in this one where it just it doesn't feel like a zombie movie to me so much as it feels like an action film where you're going up against a corporation and its evil minion, you know. This could be Terminator. This could be Commando, Running Man, you know, so many action movies that don't involve zombies. I guess my problem with it at this point is is the movies you just, you know, used as examples were mid to late 80s, early 90s. And they've done action so much better than what this movie's doing now, what, some seven, eight years on, that it's just hard to not look at some of this stuff and just roll my eyes at how cheesy the action sequences are. Yeah, I, I feel like either between the editing or the coverage or something, like I just feel like I keep missing something. And, and maybe it's just caught too fast, too. I, here's always my bias. It's not that I hate action movies, but if I'm not invested in the characters, I really don't care about how awesome it is when they spin kick and cartwheel and whatever the else, the splits, whatever the hell they want to do. I don't give an F about that. I want to know why they're in danger and how they're going to get out. And this movie hasn't done that at all. It doesn't matter to me who gets killed or not at all. Alice carries goodwill for me from the first movie, so I care about her. It is bad to have presumed empathy about any given character. That's bad writing, but it works here. They have presumed empathy for Alice. It works. But you can't worry about her because she's super tough now. She's like supernatural, so you know... You know, nothing can harm her. They also, I think, have presumed empathy for Jill Valentine. That's a big mistake because I, I like her in the games. <laughs> I've played her as in the games. But here, yeah, I don't care who else lives or dies. The only other person than Mia who's catching my attention is Oded Fair, who... I didn't even recognize him from The Mummy and from Deuce Bigelow. He's had long hair in all those other movies. The first time I saw this movie, I didn't know it was him. This time I did know, but I think he is doing well at giving me a characterization 
that has charisma. I don't know a whole lot about him. So if I'm looking for deep backstory and what his motivation is, it's not going to give it to me. But he has screen presence that makes me care if he survives. So he and Alice, those are the two I want to see get out of it. And maybe Angela because she's like 12. I don't know what this Oded Fair has, has done in the past that has made you see charisma, but he does nothing in this movie. No, here I see charisma. What does he do? Name one thing that he does. I'm talking charisma. I'm talking screen presence. The way he delivers every line. He can just walk on the camera and yes. that's great. It's yes. just great to see him walk into a room. The way he just delivers his lines, the way he <laughs> presents himself, the way he handles the action. Wait, hold on. Shoot. Yeah, they're great. It's, he's, he's amazing. No, seriously. He's leading his team he has to deal with the death of one of his squad members <laughs> nikolai so sad yes i mean nikolai is not good but Odette fair is carrying that half of the movie are you punking me i feel like this is a put on you really feel like this is great like this is good acting i'm not going to use the word great but i'll <laughs> say i'll say he's good in this movie and he is the number two character i care about Nemesis is coming in third. The rest of this crew, feed them to the zombies. But give me Oded Fair and give me Mia Jovovich. Okay, well, they do feed some people to the zombies. We get that annoying reporter. She goes down to the basement and the classroom kids jump her. That's fine, whatever. Bloody enough? Again, I think you're right about one thing. It doesn't feel like a zombie movie. There's no relish to when the zombies sink their teeth in. It, it doesn't seem to enjoy splatter. And to me, that is key to a zombie movie and here why it feels more action than zombies at least in part because it has no love for bloodshed the whole thing feels dark and quickly cut so even if you are here for the gore like you said Stuart, we're not sticking around long enough to enjoy it yeah or even see it or know what happened to be honest with you all right now we find the prize here comes angie and you gotta explain this to me so she has a lunchbox with the cure in it what the hell there's a cure? Why is nobody taking it? They had it last time. They were trying to get the cure for the scratch people. They just never got to it in time. This is driving me insane. If there is a cure, why is no one that when they get bit being changed? Why wouldn't you do it ahead of time? Maybe it doesn't work that way. But we get Carlos, this amazing actor, gets bit and it doesn't even matter. Next scene, they just inject him and that's the end of that whole drama. If it's that easy, why are they dropping a nuclear bomb? First of all, you've got to get to them. Second of all, I think you've got to get to them before they die. What happens is you get scratched, you die, you come back. She says that in that many words. So once they're dead, you can't cure them. But if they're infected but not turned, then yes, there is a cure. It is the green vial. So they should be letting people stream through and injecting them at the gate if they were interested in saving lives. But obviously, because we want to have a hissable villain, he just, you know, he's shooting people that are pleading for help at the gates. I don't need this movie to make a ton of sense, but I don't feel like I understand anything. I'm following it. Maybe it's because I've seen these movies multiple times. And I knew from the first film there was that cure. Everybody was fighting for the cure. Spence almost got the cure. You know, it was there as the MacGuffin. 
But when they got to Umbrella, Umbrella wasn't interested in curing them. Umbrella was interested in experimenting on them. And Mia, she wasn't even infected. They're like, yeah, let's take her and infect her and see what we can do with this strand of the T-virus. I think the problem here is, is I'm not having a, an issue with following what's going on. But I think what Stuart is kind of getting at here is that what Umbrella is up to is so ill-defined Mm. that we just can't know what the stakes are ultimately. Yeah. Again, it already controls the world, allegedly. It is already making money in lots of different ways. You wouldn't think that it needs to create a zombie apocalypse. I don't understand the money-making strategy of all of that. And yet, it almost seems like they want to fail and let this thing get out through the world. They're so bad at containment. It's just ridiculous. And at the same time, I can give it to the movie that I still am unsure whether or not Umbrella wanted this to happen or if they just don't care that it happened because they know that ultimately they can contain it they have the walls already preset so they can seal off that city yeah and then if need be they can drop a nuke on it look they had a fucking five level underground bunker that nothing was supposed to get out of and they kept doing crap until it got out like they are they can't wait to fucking infect the world I don't know why they don't put it in all of their hundreds of products. Umbrella, you know what? There's the presumed empathy I talked about. I think because this movie came out in 2004, there's whatever the opposite of presumed empathy is. Presumed hatred. This is 2004. We're in an election year. Bush is running for his second term. Bush Jr. Halliburton is out. We know about Cheney. All of this is going on. So we're in this world where you see a corporation that's controlling a private military and controlling weapons and illegal weapons stuff. We hate them. Why are they doing what they're doing? Well, money, evil, power, whatever. It feels like the ratio is out of balance. In a zombie movie, you always have an opportunist. You always have... I remember that in in Dawn of the Dead, there's the guy that, you know, is going to try to profit from it and and he ends up getting killed. He wants to get the cure out or, or, you know, there's just always that cliche. But that always feels like the subplot. Here, we're supposed to think Umbrella Corporation is worse than a zombie. That, to me, feels like an incredibly bad miscalculation. I don't care about this company. I mean, what they're doing is undeterminable. I need to be scared that the fucking zombies are coming at me. I don't care what they're doing in a lab with Nemesis. What I think they're doing is both government-contracted weapons design, hence Nemesis, so that they can start sending him into the mountains after Osama instead of any troops that would be killed by bullets. But this is also the ultimate company cover-up. Again, look at what Wells Fargo did recently with opening checking accounts in people's names and not telling them, and then just lying about it. Corporations do stuff for greed and then do more stuff so they don't get in trouble for their greed. So here, they were researching a bioweapon. It got out. I don't think they meant for it to get out, and now they're containing it. You know why you don't cure people and let them out? They'll talk. You don't want this on the news. They have to control the media. They have to control the information. All right, that's actually helpful. I think you're helping the movie out here and you're helping helping my understanding of it out too. Because the way I'm seeing it is, is Umbrella Corp, you know, at the tippity top, I'm not even sure if those people at the tippity top know what's going on. The people at Umbrella that we're dealing with, the Major Kane here, is the opportunist you're speaking about, Stuart. His job is to go in and just take care of this outbreak here 
by any means necessary. But in the meantime, he's going to test his little side project, Nemesis, because what does it matter? This city's going to be a crater in the morning anyway. Is he okay if Nemesis dies? I guess he is, because we're going to see in the climax, which is what I guess we're shambling towards, is that he actually wants Alice to kill Nemesis, because Alice was also his project, and even though I don't even understand what she is, She's less ugly and just <laughs> as acrobatic, so this is an improvement. We'd rather send Mia Jovovich to kill Osama than a big, ugly ogre. I think this is the AVP tagline. He doesn't really have a preference. Whoever loses, he wins. If Nemesis is stronger than Alice, then Nemesis is what we sell. If Alice is stronger than Nemesis, Alice is what we sell. Personally, I feel like both are flukes because they have one nemesis and one Alice. So if they can't reproduce this, I don't see what they're marketing. But they do want to have this showdown between them at the end. And so Kane is tapping in. He knows about the extraction of Angela and he has nemesis there waiting for them. And please, nemesis, just kill LJ before you start, huh? <laughs> He's not my least favorite. I mean, I, I'm not loving any of these characters, but honestly, I mean, it's just he feels like he's in a different movie with his gold pistols and his one liners. This movie did not need comic relief. This movie is comic relief. So can we at least try to keep a sense of seriousness and a sense of danger? Yeah, I mean, you're, you don't want it to go more over the top. I don't think that's possible. I don't know. Let's break it down quick what happens here. They, they go to this rendezvous point and father and daughter are going to be reunited. But Tim Kaine has listened in and he's there with Nemesis to create this face-off in which Alice has to kill Nemesis or watch all her friends executed, and so it just ends up being a one-on-one -on -one showdown. Mortal Kombat! Fight! Yeah, I finish him. They even says that at one point. Yeah. <laughs> This is supposed to have me in rhapsodies of joy. I'm just, I'm so puzzled as to what the entertainment value is, but it's, I want her to kick his ass. That's, that's what I want. Yeah. I mean, you want the fight. I think we're kind of in Kane's position. Yeah. I like Alice more than Nemesis because she is prettier and she is our hero for two movies. But the point here is the fight. The opening to this fight is perhaps the best stunt so far in this series. They're at the City Hall. This is the actual City Hall in Toronto. It's like 26 stories high, and they have a vertical run down the side, and this looks great. And I had to check what I assumed with the bonus features. This is no fakery. This is running down the side of a building. Yeah, I'll give you that. That was a cool stunt. It was at this moment that I knew how I was going to rate this film, because I'm like... I don't exactly know why we're here, but my God, is it looking good getting there? Oh, I thought you were going to go with the metaphor of somebody running this franchise directly towards the ground at high speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could just get to that scene, watch it, and be done if you must. I mean, you don't have to recommend a whole movie because you liked someone running down a building. No, it just epitomizes my feeling of how good the action is in here. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now, I don't know about you guys, but lately, I've actually gotten into watching UFC. 
I don't know anything about the sport. I don't know who's fighting who, but I like watching people get punched in the face. So <laughs> you like people's legs being broken mid shin. Yes, I do. <laughs> There's just something about it that enthralls me. It causes me to get adrenalized. This fight causes me to get adrenalized as she keeps going around kicking. I've started off by thinking, wow, this is so one-sided. Alice clearly has the upper hand, but she doesn't. I mean, she keeps hitting him and he keeps coming back. Even when she impales him, it doesn't slow him down, but it gets her close enough to somehow know in his one eye she sees Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she flashes back. Again, that wonderful great friend that we've never seen her have an exchange with. We did. You need to rewatch that first movie. I think we just have to get over that. They had a moment in the office. I don't. You're saying it was a flashback scene that was like for a half a second at most. But they also had the connection moment where he told her what their plan was. God, Arnie, come on. Just stop apologizing for this bad writing. <laughs> No, Stuart, you come on. Stop disregarding what was in the film. You are telling me that is emotionally moving to you, that when you see that, you feel it. This is well done stuff here, and you're with her when she's looking at this poor friend that she used to have. She's feeling like it's just so sad what he's become, and you do too. No, I think that's a little overwrought, but I go with that she had a connection that she's upset to see someone who she had partnered with to bring down Umbrella turned into this monster, and perhaps even a realization that she too has been turned into a monster. She just doesn't look like it on the outside. And I think if the, if this movie series was overly concerned with giving us that type of connections between characters, there's just no way we would be coming up on the sixth release of these already. I think they treat this at the end of the every filming day People may come up to the director and have questions, and I think the answer is always, guess what, guys? This is a video game movie. Don't think too much about it. Yeah, they say that several times in the commentary. They say if you're asking some of these questions, you're not in the movie, so just go home. Right, but I think part of their job is to get us into that movie, and I don't feel like these things have been established. I don't know what the hell the movie was that I just watched. And I don't think in the hands of this director, I don't know that he cared to make Anybody outside of who he thought his demographic would be, which is probably 14-year-old boys who usually just sit around playing Xbox. It is rated R, so 17-year-old boys. Yeah, but still, come on. You saw movies when you were 14 that were rated R. If you are if you want to see a movie, you're going to figure out a way <laughs> to see it. Same thing's going on with Deadpool now. There's 15-year-olds who had to see that movie and they've seen it. True. Yeah, I, I agree that, yeah, it's, I saw a lot of R-rated movies in theaters well before I was 17, 18 years old or whatever it is. But I'm just talking about target demographic, the ones who could actually buy tickets for this movie, not buy tickets for another movie and then go into the theater. <laughs> well, sure, given his own devices, he may have chosen to make a PG-13 or he may have chosen to make a completely different movie, but... I think the director is smart enough to know who his demographic is. Because what he's doing here is moving the movie from a first-person shooter into a fighter game. And that's going to be our big final battle, apparently. There's this strange coda afterwards. I mean, I guess... I can't even remember how this character dies. It teams up with her, and then something explodes, and he's just not there anymore. I don't even remember. They fight up to the point where she impales him on a piece of metal. And then he comes back and decides, oh, if you didn't kill me, I'm not going to kill you. And let's team up against Umbrella. 
Mm-hmm. And then he blows up or something. I don't know what happened. Well, what happens is that Umbrella starts to shoot at them from helicopters. So he uses his rocket launcher, shoots a helicopter, which causes both helicopters to crash, which then crash into him and kill him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Because he's too ugly to go on to the next movie. <laughs> the long and short of it. Well, there was only one video game called Nemesis. They weren't going to keep him going. He was the bad guy. He turned good. This is not how it went in the video game at all. Nemesis had no backstory. Nemesis never found that he had a heart and turned on to Jill's side. It was Jill Valentine who showed off against him in the game. But they went that way here. He isn't going to live. And in fact, it looks like even Alice may not. The group get onto the helicopter and decide to escape. They leave the dying doctor there out just to be killed by zombies. Kane also killed by zombies. And they take off and you think, all right, we're at the end. They're going to fly off to safety as the nuke comes in. And, you know, it's always fun to watch a nuke blow up a city in a movie. <laughs> I love this cover story. Like, they're like, oh, we need to hide the fact that we've made everyone a zombie. Let's blow it up with a nuclear weapon and then just say it was a Chernobyl style accident. No big deal. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I mean, it just speaks to the inhumanness of the mindless corporation. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, you're right, Arnie. This is, I got excited. I'm like, ooh, right. We get to see some nuclear devastation. And it delivers to a certain degree. I mean, we got to see some good disintegration of buildings and whatnot. But I've seen the day after. Every single one of those people on the helicopter, they may have a cure for the T-virus, but they're all dying of radiation. (laughs) Yeah, they, they were outside of the blast zone, but they still got taken out by the aftershock. If there's an aftershock hitting you, there's radiation hitting you. But yes, their helicopter is down. Alice seemingly is impaled. She saves Angela, the parentless child who has no future. <laughs> yeah, so who who are our survivors walking away from this? We don't know. Yeah, no, we see them at the end. We get this very bizarre epilogue that does not make me want to see any more of this movie. But all right, so Alice wakes up in another lab. Is she just going to do this every movie? She literally just going to every time wake up somewhere with somebody new doing something weird to her. She's in a bubble of water or something. And all of a sudden she can do ninja moves with pins and remembers who she is. At least she remembers who she is. But no, they let her escape and all of them are there. I mean, we have LJ driving the limo and Oded Fair and Jill Valentine and... I don't know where the, maybe they had a little girl in the trunk. I don't know where she went, but everybody else is there to to pick her up like Uber or something. (laughs) (laughs) Angela was in the backseat. She was just hiding. We do see her. But they're pretending to break her out and Umbrella decides to let her go with them like they really give a shit about these four people. (laughs) Right. If we can discredit video footage of our zombies escaping as, oh, no big deal, it was just a nuclear meltdown, then I don't know what these four could do to give them bad press. I really don't. (laughs) But did you get the feeling that they let her go, or he just realized that there's nothing he could do to stop her from leaving? No, he let her go. He wanted her to go. Yeah, he called the gatehouse and was like, let him through. 
So a la like Grand Moff Tarkin letting them go so they can track down the rebel base type of plan. Yes, exactly. Okay. But now they're controlling her. We see she has Nemesis vision. She's got binary data up the left side of her vision. The umbrella logos flashing in her eye. She is an umbrella agent now, right? We're led to believe so. I'm hoping they'll drop this for the next one and that this is just some stupid stinger to a bad movie. And one thing that I'll say I love about the Resident Evil films is they end everyone with me going, how the fuck are they going to do that in the next film? They got tight continuity. They never drop a strand. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Tight continuity. I keep waiting for that one. Okay. Which brings me to the question, Arnie. How planned out is this franchise? Did they know going into Resident Evil, the original movie, that they were going to try to make a trilogy or beyond? Or these one by one that they're... And just kind of leaving a dangling hope at the end of every movie that they can follow that string next time. They made the first film thinking of it just as one film, but coming up with sequel ideas as they went through. By the time they got to the second one, there was hints in their mind of a trilogy, but they needed to see how the box office was. Really, the first movie wasn't guaranteed a sequel until it hit video, so they had to see how the second one did to know if they would get a third one. And they didn't have a script or anything like they did this one. It's just after Resident Evil Apocalypse was number one its opening weekend at the box office that they're like, okay, we're doing a third and let's start working on a script. And that's why it may have taken an extra year. The third one, Extinction, came out in 2007. But we'll get there next week. For this week, Justin Stewart, do you recommend Resident Evil Apocalypse? Justin. You know, I had a whole bunch of stuff to say about this, but I think I'm going to give my recommend or not recommend about as much effort as the people who worked on this movie gave to this movie. Hey, now, they put a lot of Canadians in work for quite a long time. They brought a lot of jobs during a period where SARS was spreading and all the movies fled Canada with their stories of the T-virus. They're like, screw stars. We have a T-virus. We're going to Toronto. But did they have the antivirus? <laughs> Many of these people hadn't worked since Short Circuit 2 left town. So this is... <laughs> Well, with all due respect to the fine folks of Canada who bled for this movie, you know, the first time around, I was happy to give that movie a mild recommend. And here, I'm not going to judge it overly harshly, and I'm going to say mild not recommend, just because if you weren't a fan of the first one and you stuck around this far, I can't see you going on. But if you're still interested... Uh, I think you kind of have to watch this one to keep going with the franchise. And it's not, it's not a nightmare. I mean, I don't see myself sitting down and watching it again. But at the end of the day, it just, it left me rolling my eyes more than it did bugging my eyes out in awe. Stuart. Yeah, look, you don't kill a Resident Evil movie by shooting it in the head. Everyone knows it's stupid. The fans know it's stupid. They don't come for that. It's not about smart satire. It's not about witty dialogue. You gotta titillate. Shock. Give me some action. Give me some boobies. Do a couple flips. Do a couple variations on classic movie scenes. That's all you gotta do. That's all that I recommended last week. But even with all these backflips Mia is doing in this movie, she cannot clear that very low bar. The original Resident Evil was also ludicrous, But it worked for me because it was about containment. 
It pushed a small group of characters in one direction to solve a mystery that seemed like it would have narrative payoff, and then it ended before I realized that it wouldn't. (laughs) We should be going to the next level with these zombies now that they busted above ground and are running wild in the street, and yet so little of the story hangs together scene by scene, I couldn't even figure what was supposed to be propelling us forward. All of these cosplaying characters are just atrophied limbs. They take us nowhere. It matters not what happens to any of them. Even this poor little scientist daughter who is carrying the cure around in her lunch pail and therefore can never be hurt. And I can't believe that's not a a deal that she has the friggin' cure to the whole thing right there. But that's whatever. Nemesis. I mean, my God. Like... Power Ranger. I don't know. I mean, what? this kills me. I mean, I don't know if I'd call it an apocalypse. I'll take a deep breath here. I have seen a lot worse movies, but this is certainly a steep drop from the dumb fun I had last week. And yeah, it's a strong not recommend. I came into this movie fully expecting the movie you saw, Stuart. I remember it not being so good. And that director has only directed one other thing. So I'm watching it for now playing, and yes, the first half of this movie, or at least the first half hour, was a slog. And I'm like, oh my god, yes, I see what I was in for. Sienna, what are you doing? You look good in the outfit, but my god, there's nothing for your character. I'm not entirely blaming you, I'm not letting you off the hook either, but the script does you no favors, and... LJ, what movie are you in? And even Alice, you're not around that much. Get to the part where you're going to give a compliment. That's what I'm excited for. What? And then it turned when? But once they got to the church, and then once they left the church and really started on their mission, and yes, it felt like a video game plot. It didn't feel like one where you're going level to level. It felt like one of those more Grand Theft Auto missions where you have to go through the city and you can go through whatever way you want but you have to get to this goal and you have to fight this person when you get there and you have these obstacles along the way and you have this ticking clock to get you there as that started and as the group came together i felt this movie came together and for the second half hour i was just enjoying the action and once she ran down the building i'm like well god damn this is just some fun shit I'm having a lot of fun at the climax of this movie. And so I really kind of was weighing it. Yeah, the beginning really sucked, but I had fun. I can't really respect this movie, but I had fun. And so I was like, why do I feel like I have such bad memories? Because I wanted to give this a weak recommend. And then I went back, because I journal just about every movie I watch these days on Letterboxd. And I watched a marathon of these last year, and my memory was I hated this one. So I went back to that journal to see what I gave it. I gave it a weak recommend then, too, so I just misremembered hating this movie. It's (laughs) fine. It's got some good action and a really shitty script. It's a weak recommend. Well, I think the key there, I think more important than whether we're saying we like it or not, I think all of us are saying none of us will remember it. It is completely (laughs) forgettable and disposable, and that... Whatever we said today, ask us again. And I don't know, for me, I feel like it'll take me about three weeks to get this out of my system. (laughs) But I won't have a single memory of this whole thing. Maybe her running down the, the building. That might stick with me. But the rest of this 
you won't remember which movie it was in, though. I do feel that when all is said and done, much like Planet of the Apes or James Bond, I'm going to be like, yeah, I know that stunt. What one was that again? Yeah, I mean, maybe by the time <laughs> we get to the theatrical release, I literally won't be able to remember this. And it will just be one big blur. I don't know, but you're not encouraging me. If this is a recommend, I don't know what I've gotten myself into. There's a lot of these. I cannot believe that we have to go through four more Resident Evil movies. They're running out of franchises to ape. (laughs) We'll see. Extinction should be the end of it, but it's just the beginning, apparently. Well, next week, we're going to find out, yes, because we go to Extinction. The end of the Resident Evil trilogy, but only halfway through our game here of doing all six movies. Meanwhile, in the meantime, if you want to listen to some more Now Playing, head to our Podbean page, because there you can listen to our Child's Play series, and later this week, our Alien series and our Spielberg Alien series, as I go through the process of, for our 10th anniversary, opening the vault and bringing out all of our old shows just for this year is the plan but getting them all out there for people who miss them a chance to yes support our show and also hear some of these shows that you just haven't had a chance to hear lately yeah this is something that we got a lot of feedback about that people really wanted to be able to get old series they they became a fan after you know we had closed the vault and through no fault of their own they just didn't time it right so yeah it's it's the 10th anniversary we're feeling celebratory we're feeling like getting a little loose and crazy and yeah if you want to if you if there's always been a show that you wanted to hear this year you're going to be able to do it starting with chucky and alien and those alien podcasts are some of my favorites and i'm just gonna say Part of the reason we're doing this is because we found the technology. We didn't vault these just because we're like Disney and sadistic and just want to take them away. It was because I have processed every donation by hand for the years we've been doing this. And now Podbean is handling it for us. And this means more options for you. Things we've heard. People who say, can I just get... The Deadly Friend episode from the 1986 horror series. Yes, we're offering these up by individual episode or by the entire backlog, depending on how much you want. And yes, this money does go to support our show. This keeps us going. We have some pretty big plans here for our 10th anniversary, and we'd like your help to make them possible. But In the end, we want you to get the shows that you guys have been clamoring for, be it an individual episode or a whole series. You can find it all. There's links from nowplayingpodcast.com, and it's only through our Podbean app where you can download them to your system or just get the Podbean app and listen there, but that means you get them immediately. There's no longer having to use PayPal and wait 24 to 48 hours for an email. You go to Podbean, you get the shows. It's as simple as that. And thank you all for your support thus far to allow us to get to 10 years. You guys rock. And Justin Stewart, you guys rock for going through the apocalypse with me. (laughs) And surviving. (laughs) So far. Yeah. So we'll be back next week with the third Resident Evil movie, Extinction. Until then, game over.
Harkov. I never dreamed there would be this many of us left alive. So what's next? I say, we live up to the promise. This is Arcadia, broadcasting on the emergency frequency. There is no infection. Repeat, there is no infection. We offer safety and security, food and shelter. If you are out there, we will help you. There is hope. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Resident Evil Retrospective Series. When I get out of here, I think I'm gonna get laid. Yeah. <laughs> might want to clean up a little bit first. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. I'm missing you already. Would you like to continue? Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next week to hear another Resident Evil movie review. One way or another, our world is coming to an end. The question is, will we end with it? And visit the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives for reviews of other films, including Blade, Hellboy, The Shining, a Nightmare on Elm Street, and more. I've been a bad, bad girl. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com and come back each week for another new movie review. For so long, I thought you were the future. I was wrong. <laughs> I am the future. Also at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book you can order Now Playing's film review collection, Underrated Movies We Recommend. This book has 125 reviews about films you probably haven't seen, but you should. Good thing we like a challenge. Want to take part in the discussion? Join the Now Playing hosts at our forums, where you and the other listeners can give your thoughts on this movie review. The links to our forums is at nowplayingpodcast.com. I told you I'd be bringing a few friends. You should have brought more. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I always knew you'd be drawn to your friends. Insert coins to keep playing. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. I didn't think any of you would make it this far. Not without infection. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Everyone is grateful for you helping us out. We really are grateful. You can also support our show and get dozens of bonus movie reviews. But I can offer you something you want very much. What is that? For Now Playing's 10th anniversary, we have opened the vaults. And at our Podbean page, you can donate and get archived movie reviews, including the Night of the Living Dead series, Alien, Return of the Living Dead, Jaws, The Exorcist, Jurassic Park, and more. We're reopening the hive. Links to all these reviews can be found in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives section. Humanity will cease to exist unless you return to the hive. You can also join our Podbean crowdfunding campaign to help our show grow. Backers of $10 or more will receive exclusive bonus podcast reviews. We're going to need more ammo. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I'm going to kill you. Perhaps. But first you have work to do. Now Playing is produced by Arnie Carvalho. 
I can't remember much before all this started. Sometimes I feel like this has been my whole life. Now Playing's Resident Evil series is edited by David, Heath, and Arnie. I don't want to be one of those things walking around without a soul. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. This is what I do. The Resident Evil films and all movie audio and music are the property of its respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Hey boys, bad idea. The opinions expressed at Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I have no reason to believe a word you say. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I want her quarantined, close observation, and a full series of blood tests. Let's see if she's infected. Take her to the Raccoon City facility. Then assemble the team. I want to know what went on down there. Just do it. Stars. It was kind of the best and worst of times for actresses. I don't know why everyone... I guess it's a payday, right? You're going to get paid more if you do an action movie, so every actress just wanted to do it. But it was becoming a thing at this time. You make it sound like porn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is the anal version of action <laughs> well, well, like, now you're mad-libbing this. I never said that, but... No, I'm saying what Justin said. <laughs> I, you know, I said thing. I said thing. That's like a blank space with a line, and you put anal in there. Okay. <laughs> is that me or is that you? That's Justin. Oh, okay. Justin said anal. That's the power of my suggestion. <laughs> it's what he was thinking. I just said it. <laughs> Stars. A group of survivors band together, including disgraced Stars team police officer Jill Valentine, played by Sienna Gilroy, played by Sienna Gillery, Giller, Gillery, Gillery, Gillery. I don't know who the hell she is. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, if I look Gillery. at the name, Gil I would say Gillery. Gillery, like Hillary, but with a G. Yep. Stars. These four stick together when they're contacted by umbrella scientist Dr. Charles Ashford, played by Jared Harris. Does anybody know any of these actors, or am I just masturbating when I list their names? No! Jared Harris is the son of someone very famous, Richard Harris. I know his father quite well. Is he really? Uh-huh. I know him from, uh, do you guys ever watch The Riches? That show that was canceled back in 08, it was a... Oh, yeah! He was a character that they were just starting to bring in when it got canceled, and he was going to be the leader of the, the gypsies. He had a pretty good role going on there. He was uh, Tangina in the new Poltergeist movie. I guess he was something big, and he got nominated for a SAG award for Benjamin Button. So, okay, I don't feel so bad about listing his name. Stars. Led by Carlos Oliveira, played by Oded Fair. Is that your review of the film? Oded Fair. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious if you can give it a fair review. <laughs> I can't. Stars. And are joined by another survivor, 
comic relief L.J. Wade, played by Mike Epps. I guess it must be Friday. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) I think I'd prefer Omar Epps in this role, but we got Mike. Uh, Epps in your franchise is like Joey showing up on your sitcom. (laughs) Joey Lawrence. Oh, ouch! Okay, I thought you meant Joey from Friends. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, you went, you went Joey, and I was thinking Friends, man. <laughs> I was thinking about the spinoff Joey. I'm like, how many crossovers shows did he ruin? <laughs> Actually, it's more like Ted Ginn showing up on your sitcom. It means you're in the final legs. Ted McGinley. McGinley is that his name? Yeah, uh, Ted yeah. McGinley. I don't know who that is. Married with children, later years. Happy Days, hmm. The Richie Replacement. You know what? I probably abandoned these shows before he shows up. Have you seen Revenge <laughs> of the Nerds? I mean, like 30 years ago. He was the major jock. He was the lead jock. Oh, yeah. He was. Yeah, I remember him from Married with Children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Getting all high and mighty on it. So I dropped on it. <laughs> uh-huh. How could I give up on Bud and Kelly? <laughs> Stars. She disappears from this movie, often, and for ten-minute stretches, which feel like an eternity in this. I know Paul Thomas Anderson... Oh, I know Paul <laughs> W.S. Anderson didn't come back for this. Stars. You know, right as I was writing down, where the hell is Mia Jovovich? Jovovich. She cracked... Where the hell is Mia Jovovich? Jovovich. God damn it. <laughs> where the hell is Mia Jovovich? Stars. The way Alice goes into this nemesis fight is a show-stopping stunt, though. She runs vertically down the... Building? I'm trying to think what that building was called. They said, like, the town council building or... (laughs) The council building of Raccoon City needs to work out of an (laughs) 80-floor steel and glass skyscraper. Hold on. Oh, Jesus. I mean, you could just say the building. No one's going to, like, fact check it. They they actually use the name of the building that it is in uh, Canada. Stars. 